Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. Welcome to those watching online and those here on site this morning. And this morning, we have an exciting announcement. You know, uh, God's doing some amazing things as we're getting ready for the future of Freedom Church and what God has in store. And one of those things is Pastor O.C. is stepping up and leading our young adults. So we needed a new uh, youth pastor, next-gen pastor, to lead our youth in this next season. And if obviously, we've got, we got Kiap coming in. And if you have a student, let me tell you, Youth Camp is a life-changing moment. I'll never forget that time on June 22nd, 1992 in Mountain Air, New Mexico. Somebody told me to go to camp and it changed literally my life. It changed many lives. You're sitting in here because of that moment. So I'm telling you, if you have a student that needs to go to camp, man, make sure uh, they want, make sure you sign them up. Camp is filling up quick, but we believe and invest in the next generation here at Freedom Church. It's one of our values. So we went on a search, uh, literally all over the nation. We had tons of applicants come in, and there was one applicant that stood above all of the rest. Uh, he graduates from what I think is the best university in the world, Southwestern Assembly of God University. My alma mater he has a man he has like 3.9 to one to brag super brilliant young man uh graduated in three years he's graduating next week and he will come on june 1st i want you to give it up for your new next generation pastor student pastor give it up for michael sutherland as he tells you hello this morning welcome to the team mike love you well, uh, good morning, Freedom Church. Uh, I just wanted to say how really excited I am to be uh, getting to be led by Pastor Benito, but also getting to join you guys just uh, over being here over Easter and then also this Sunday morning, seeing you guys really genuinely like worship God. And it's something that I'm really excited to be able to be a part of. Uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of my heart for what I, what I want. I think one of the most important things about student ministry, about what's next for students is being very intentional and pouring into them. And that's something that really affected me when I felt like I wanted to go into ministry, being able to have youth pastors who really cared about me and wanted to see how I could grow and be more like Christ. And that's something that I'm excited to be able to do for, for your students. But more importantly than that, I think it's important that I don't just uh, help them, guide them to getting to know Jesus, but really to love Jesus, right? I think it's important that they not just love Jesus till they graduate high school, but I want to be able to call them 30 years from now and I hear about how they're still having their families taking them to church, how they're trying to help lead their kids to be more like Christ and whatnot. So I'm really excited uh, to be uh, coming here in June and uh, getting to know all of you guys. If I haven't gotten the opportunity to meet you yet, please come up and say hi. I, don't, I mean, I want to be able to get to know all of you guys and I just wanted to let you know how thankful I am to be able to be such uh, a part of such a great church community and how uh, excited I am to be able to, to lead your students. So, Pastor Ben. Michael, we're so excited that he's here. And let me tell you, Michael, he spoke at Campus Days. He was one of the top speakers there at Southwestern. He was the, literally, I won't brag, but he's the top guy there at Southwestern. Had a lot of job offers, and I'm so thankful he chose to, to come to Freedom Church. Man, we're glad you're on the team. Man, another special treat for you. My best man in my wedding, my best friend, Dyron Deer, is here to preach. And he's got a message of hope. 
He's had some challenges and some difficulties, but he's seen that God, God in the mountain is still the same God in the valley and the God of grace. I mean, this message is going to challenge you. It's going to inspire you. Get your tissues. Get your heart open. Because I'm, I'm not saying this. Dyron is one of the best communicators I know. Man, uh, Dyron, it is my honor and privilege to invite you to Freedom Church for the first time. Give it up for my boy, Dizzy D, the lyrical assassin right here. What's up? Silly, silly Benny. Pastor Ben, I love you so much. I tell you, it's such a delight to get to be here and uh, share my heart. And I want to just brag on your pastors, just top-notch, uh, authentic, uh, genuinely loving Jesus and leading the church to be missional. And it just is such a, a joy to see that. I remember being in Bible college, and um, as soon as I saw Pastor Benito, it wasn't short after that that I knew that I wanted to get to know that guy because his heart was burning for Christ, and I wanted what he had, and uh, I tell you what a journey it is to uh, get to be his friend. I'm, I'm excited to get to be here with you. Some of the story that I'll share is, um, is vulnerable, just downright humiliating, um, but through this, my commitment has been God squeeze everything that I have been through for the glory of your name, for the goodness of what you want to do in my life. And I know that there are individuals who understand what it is to walk through extreme brokenness. And it is a challenge. Sometimes you just want to skirt through the dark, broken moments of your life and never visit them. That's okay. I understand that mindset. Some things you want to shut the door on and say, I never, ever want to go there. Anybody, anybody ever had moments like that? You say, I don't ever want to speak about it again. I hope I never think about it again. But I want to tell you there are those that need to know your broken places. There are those that need to understand what walking through hardship is like, and they need the testimony of how God has met you and worked in your heart, and that is my commitment through the most broken and humiliating portions of my own journey. I think one of the common denominators for all of us here this morning is hardship. You cannot live on this planet and escape trying, difficult, personal, challenging times. It's inevitable. If, if, if you have not walk through trying times in your life, I want to announce to you, you will soon face trials and temptations. The scripture is clear about that. But I don't think any of us have faced quite the experience that Aaron Ralston faced. On April 22nd, 2003, he would set out on a hike, his camelback loaded with just 12 ounces of water. He would pack two burritos with him. He would leave his phone in the car. He would tell nobody that he was on this frequent hiking trip that he went all the time. It was the Blue John Canyon in the eastern part of Utah. And as he was trekking down into the slotted portion of this canyon, he would leap over this boulder multiple times, but this time it would be different. As he climbed over that portion of the slotted piece in that, in that canyon, the, the boulder, the 800-pound boulder, it dislodged. It slammed against his left hand and then pinned his right hand against the canyon wall. There he would spend day one with the broken hand and the memories of what could happen at this moment. Day two would pass. He would literally be there for five days. 
He would make superficial cuts in his arm. The first three days, he was attempting to find a way to dislodge and and chip at that 800-pound chalk boulder, but it was not moving. He knew little by little, day one, day two, day three, he was snacking on his burrito, two burritos he packed, and he was drinking the 12 ounces, the limited amount of water in his camelback, trying to buy the time. Three days would go by, and then on the fourth day, he would run out of everything. He would literally drink his own urine pinned under the weight of this boulder. On that fourth day, he found himself coming in and out of consciousness. He he had a little GoPro and he filmed his last words to his family. He he got the little tool that he had in his pocket and he, he began to etch the date. Because in his mind, he knew that he would die right there alone, nobody around him in the cliffs of this canyon. Day four, he knew it was inevitable. He began to make the plans. He said, I'm going to have to execute surgery on myself. He couldn't fathom that very moment. And so it, it, it happened where he was in and out of consciousness that, that that fourth night after running through all of his resources, after taping a response to his family and etching what he thought would be the death date on the side of that wall, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron then had a dream in the middle of the night, not even expecting that fourth day. He did all of that because he did not expect to live. On the fifth day, he was, he was, he was, he was awakened and, and just baffled that he was alive. And, and it seemed like he, he says that he was hallucinating or had a dream. And his dream fast-forwarded to him with a little kid and the right portion of his arm missing. And he said he knew it was a sign. He said by that time, day five, the portion of his arm began to decompose. And he began the daunting task of executing surgery that would remove his arm. He began to make cuts into his arm, but he noticed that he had a little bitty pocket tool. One end had the pliers. You see the two-inch dull blade. And he would make cuts, and then he realized he's he's got an ulna bone and a radius bone in his arm. And so, so time, he, could, he couldn't buy any more time. He would leverage the torque against that rock, and he, and he broke his arm. What's today, April 25th? One day ago, one more day, 2003, this same time frame is when it happened. And, and he broke his arm because the blade could not cut through the bone. And little by little, within an hour time frame, he began to cut through his skin and his muscles and his tendons. And then he used the plier portion and, and, and through the difficult, tough tendon portions, and he cut through. And then he took his camelback tourniquet and the little, the little tourniquet that, that, he, that he used to drink with, the, the, the little plastic tube, he took that and he tied his arm off, then made a 65-foot rappel down the side of the cliff, eight miles to hike out. He noted later, he said if he would have tried to execute the removal of his forearm at the beginning, he would have bled out. But six miles into that eight-mile exit, he met a family from the Netherlands, a mom and a dad and a son, and they began to call in reinforcements. And Aaron Ralston is alive today. You've probably heard his story, but I propose to you and I 
that although we may not have had to literally remove our arm or our leg, that there are times in our life, and I know full well what it is to experience when you feel trapped, hopeless, nobody's there, nothing's going to change, and it may not be in the midst of a canyon, but I'm here to tell you that there are canyons in life, and if we're not careful, each and every one of us can get trapped, and I know what it's like to be trapped. I know what it's like to have to go through in a daunting, tasking process. Thank God for his presence and his people and his word. But I know what it's like to have to, to, have to do surgery on the parts that are holding you back. I know what it's like to have to dig down and address issues that are, that are difficult to face. This morning I stand before you five years sober and clean from opioid addiction and alcohol addiction that started out seemingly innocent, nagging back injuries, and the doctor would prescribe oxycodone. I found myself over a period of time becoming dependent upon that. And then as a, as a, as a pastor of a blossoming church, it's humiliating to think that, that I would face times of anxiety and stress and, and I would literally start framing my own prison, reaching outside of the promises of God, reaching outside. You see, the challenge isn't, isn't so much the anxiety. The challenge isn't so much the, the pressure. The, 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 the behind-the-scene reality is there was pride. The behind-the-scene reality, there, you just, there's no way to slice it any difference. There was rebellion and arrogance. How could a man pastor and lead a church and teach people about loving Jesus and that he's everything and more than enough and yet have a vision for the city, have a vision to preach and love God's word and yet not trust God with my own pressure, not trust God with my own anxiety, finding avenues outside of the presence of God and the word of God and the love of Jesus and so many of us seemingly trek down what we think is going to be a routine hike in life and we find ourselves trapped under the boulder under the boulder of addiction, under the boulder of bitterness. I know what it was like 2012. After opening the door, already dependent upon prescription opioids to manage my pain, to then justify and think, you know, it's not a big deal. I can manage it. I deserve it. Matter of fact, many people go to the doctor and take Xanax, and I don't want to take Xanax. I'm already taking prescription pain medicine. So, so I went to the doctor, and I said, Doc, I'm struggling with anxiety. What, what, what should I do? He says, I can give you Xanax, or you can do what the most, majority of the people do. They, they drink a glass of wine. I was like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear, man. Isn't it amazing how we try to build a narrative that dumbs down and supports our own sinful desires. And I refuse to do that this morning or as I continue to tell this story because the fact is our heart has capacity for good and evil. And the reality was that I was on a path that I should not be. And me and my family and the people that I love paid a high price for it. But I'm here to announce this morning that Jesus knows how to lift that boulder. Jesus knows how to give rescue. Jesus knows how to give help. Jesus knows how to restore a broken life. He knows how to reach in to the woman at the well. 
He knows how to reach down and help and put the pieces back together. How embarrassing it would be as my wife watched this unfold in my life. I I have found my heart over these last five years broken at the at the reality of not necessarily what I've gone through, but the hurt that I created. The hurt and the uncertainty and the chaos and the disappointment and the fear. I cannot even imagine what it would be like to watch somebody you love walk down a path that you know is destructive. I remember her many times saying, Dyron, what are you doing? I, I just, I wish that you wouldn't drink. I would say, you know, it's Colorado. I, you know, our board members drink. Uh, everybody drinks. You know, I'm just having a couple of drinks and then one drink turned into two. See, what happens is I'm not here to preach about somebody having a glass of wine or having a beer. But what I am here to tell you is if you're not careful, you begin to build a framework. And that framework, if you're not careful, becomes your own prison. Because what would happen is two drinks, three drinks would turn into four. And then before you know it, here's what happens. Once somebody says, I am finished, I am out, I am done, what you have been doing to manage your stress is no longer, no, it doesn't, it doesn't do the trick any longer. So what happened was, was that three drink went to no longer is my wife and my children there. Now I'm drinking every day, all day to numb the pain and the brokenness. Over and over, she would highlight, and I would continue to put the 12-pack in the refrigerator saying, you know what, really, really not in these words, but, but really it, what it was saying was, you know, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel. Matter of fact, the covenant relationship that we have is not at the forefront of my heart and my mind. Me being self-centered, me putting my needs before you and my family took precedence, and little by little, Trust began to erode. Too many questions, too many times of saying, when is this going to change? How can this change? And I'll never forget uh, on, in 2012, on the flight for our 10-year anniversary cruise, I remember her saying to me, Dyron, I'm asking you not to drink on this cruise. Good night. I was so planning on having a couple of beers a day. That was my plan. I drank 14 beers on a seven-night cruise, two a day. I, I, I mean, you know, my mindset was, be glad it's not 10. That was my mindset. But what she was saying is, you have already crossed the line, and I need to know that what I say to you matters. And I remember continuing to look at her and say, you know what? I won't drink. But guess what happened on the cruise? I was committed to doing what I wanted to do to disregard the very one that God had put in my life to help me and encourage me. And I remember the day four on the cruise, I had come back from putting golf and drinking a couple of beers, and I walked to the door in the cruise, and, uh, and she met me at the door, and she says, have, have, you, have, you, have you been drinking? Have you drank on the cruise? Looked me right in the eye, and I just looked and said, no, I haven't drank. And she says, you're lying to me. I went and got the cruise record, and I know exactly what you've been doing. And I thought, man, my life is, is unraveling before me. The blossoming church that God had called me to leave, where am I? What am I doing? I have, I have framed my own prison, and I knew that the Holy Spirit throughout this journey was so faithful. I can count three times where I knew legitimately the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Dyron, you need to come clean. You need help. You're in too far. And I was so embarrassed, and I was shackled in shame, and I, and I didn't want to disappoint my wife, and I, and I, and I didn't want to lose my position, and I, and I didn't know how to handle it. 
And, and so I continue to hide it and just go down a path of self-destruction. After that cruise, she knew. I'll never forget her flying back to Dallas to get the kids. The kids had stayed in Dallas with her family. And uh, I, I, I remember it so vividly. The whole week had passed and and she wasn't feeling good, and she had to see a doctor, and, and more time had passed, and I just felt, I just knew something was not right, something was not okay, and, and I called, and, and I said, what's going on, what's happening? Obviously, fear and torment, I'm already being tormented, already filled with anxiety, already bad choices are, are riddled through my life, already trapped in the boulder, and just didn't know how to do the surgery, didn't know how to change, didn't know how to get free, didn't know how to repel down and make my way to safety and rescue, although Jesus is always faithfully beckoning me and reaching out to me, and she she answered on the phone and says, the truth is I am no longer coming back and I have a lawyer. This marriage is over. And the guy that was drinking two drinks and three drinks just said, man, I've lost everything. Immediately, I began a pattern of heavy drinking that would ultimately end in six months passing from, from, from our separation to where she served with divorce papers. And I would spend the remaining time in Colorado resigning the church, just trying to, 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 to walk through the broken pieces. I would try to move back to Dallas and try to work and be around the kids, but the hopelessness and the brokenness was too much. The shame, I was shackled with shame that would just torment me. I would live in a hotel and you got you to gotta remember I had traveled the world and, and been a part of a groups where we played planted churches, and I lived in a 3,800-square-foot house on a cul-de-sac on a golf course, and here I am living in, living in a hotel, and my life is unraveling, broken. I would remember walking through the streets in Dallas, and I would see, if I knew anybody there, I wouldn't walk in because I didn't want to face them. I didn't want to face the questions and how the enemy just isolates you and tries to crowd into your heart, and we're going to talk more about that this morning as we learn to journey with hope. I would run through all of the little retirement I would save up. I would try to visit the kids. I couldn't hold down the job, couldn't pay child support. Hiding, shackled, drinking. Wasn't going out clubbing, but just broken, broken. Drinking every day to numb the pain. Drinking every day just so I could sleep because I was literally tormented. I don't know if any of you have faced addiction or faced such a heavy boulder. And I feel this morning as I've been praying, and I'm kind of kind of moving out of the story for just a second, and I'm going to finish it. But 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 I feel very strongly that that there are some here this morning that 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 the weight of anxiety and the weight of fear has been pressing in this morning. I kept feeling it all weekend and even this morning. And, and God's going to help you lift that burden. God has not caused you to live with anxiety. There are moments that are in pockets of fear that are normal, but God has not given you a paralyzing spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And he has the ability to set you free. I stand this morning as a rescued, redeemed one who has walked through a painful process. I remember Finally, living in my truck, I had lost everything. My reputation, my ministry, my marriage, my children. I remember living in my truck for two months. I remember not having anything, going to downtown Dallas, sleeping at the bridge one night and saying, I don't want to live there. I can't believe my life is at this point shackled in addiction. And I remember walking the streets of Dallas, stayed at the bridge one night, stayed on the street two more nights, and 
and just shattered, broken. But how many of you know that Jesus knows how to speak? Jesus is always, he came, he came that, that he would have access to show us his ability. He's always trying to reach out to us and reach into us to, to usher in his freedom and his hope. And, and I remember the Lord saying to me, Dyron, out of Isaiah, uh, he, he said, he was without money, come by bread. I know you've lost everything, Dyron, but one thing you know is you know my presence is the answer. You know my love for you is genuine. You need to come and be with me. And I began to set out. I lived in my truck for two months, lived on Prayer Mountain for two months. I made a commitment that I was going to seek God and He was going to do the surgery. I was going to partner with Him and go through the painful process of God doing surgery in my heart, in my mind. And I'm so grateful. I'm reminded of being in that lonely rented room crying myself to sleep under the boulder of bitterness and hatred and anxiety and torment and addiction and shame. And the only one that kept coming, the only one that kept calling was King Jesus saying, I haven't changed, Iron. I love you. Are you willing to cooperate with me? I'll do the surgery. I'll dig deep. I'll set you free. You see, one thing I knew is that Jesus was love, that he was good, and that he would reach in and give me the help that I need. And I'm here to announce to you this morning, no matter where you are, God wants you too to journey with hope. God wants you in the midst of your trek, in the midst of the temptations and the traps that come in life. He wants you to have confidence that no matter how burdened you get with depression or discouragement, no matter how fearful you get, no matter how many failings that have happened, no matter how many times situations have crept in and pinned you down, He has the ability to rescue you. He has power rescuing, redeeming, Restoring power. Journeying with hope is difficult. The main text this morning, Psalms chapter 84, verses 5 through 7, is significant. The, the words are beautiful. The, the truths are, are, are transformational. But, but the beauty is in the backdrop. The beauty is in the behind the scenes, just like, just like you and I, the moments that, that nobody knows about where God showed up and was real. The backstory of your story that, that causes you to be here this morning to say, Jesus, I want you. I know you. The journey that each and every one of us has gone through where we've had to decipher and discern what it is to walk with hope. And it was the same for the sons of Korah. They're the ones who wrote Psalms 84. If you take a rewind, you would go to Numbers chapter 14 through 16, and you would understand that Korah, their dad, was an individual who led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And the story is that Moses stood before them aware of the rebellion. They had, they had led this rebellion that would cause 250 to leave the actual temple in in Israel. And so what would happen is, is Moses stood before him and he says, if, if what I'm doing is of God, uh, I'm here to tell you that the earth is going to open up and swallow you. And literally the earth opened up and Korah and the three guys that were leading that rebellion were swallowed up by the earth and 250 of them were destroyed by fire. Can you imagine being Korah's son? Can you imagine the ripple, the, the label? Can you imagine uh, what others would say about Korah and his family 
And can you appreciate with me what it takes in the midst of opposition, in the midst of facing hardship, those that would find their way in the midst of everything stacked against them would find their way to, to, to continue to honor God, to have courage, to have the kingdom of God first and for, foremost in their heart and in their life. You see, what's beautiful about Psalms 84 is the fact that, that they went from a, a, a lineage of rebellion to a resourceful conduit in the kingdom of God. They were doorkeepers. They were gatekeepers. They had influence. And, and what's beautiful is, is they, they themselves pinned these words after evaluating the pilgrimage of those that would desire to, to have, have God at the forefront of their life. They were gatekeepers. They heard the stories. They knew of the difficulties and the challenges. And they would write these words in Psalms, chapter 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed, happy, fulfilled are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go forth from strength to strength until each appear before God in Zion. You can imagine what it was like to, to see the weathering of these people and to hear of their stories and the battles and the challenges. And it's in the language of Psalms 84. And if you and I are going to journey with hope, we're going to have to understand, number one, that it's critical that we steward our heart well. I love what he says in Psalms chapter 84. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, and they've set their heart on pilgrimage. I remember taking my son Daxon on a hike, and, and it wouldn't be too long until he would want to sit down, and I would see a disgusting look on his face, and he didn't want to finish. And I, did, I just said, son, son, you you got to decide now. Way before you finish, you've got to decide you're going to finish. And once you do, you're going to have strength, you're going to have courage, and you're going to have the ability to enjoy the journey. I remember nights in my vehicle between Target and Panera sleeping in my truck. I found two lawn chairs and that's exactly what I would do. I knew that my heart would have to be set on not running, facing every and any obstacle that I needed to, willing to own my rebellion, my sin, facing it head on to be the man I knew God had called me to be. And there was going to be no easy way because he's a daddy God. And when he sends you to Egypt, you're going to have to go through the entire experience. And you know what? You don't go there unless you ran red light, red light, yellow light, yellow light, and you wrecked. And then, and then you're sitting there saying, why did I wreck? And God said, because you ran the red light, red light, red light, yellow light. And you got to go through getting restored. You got, the car's got to be restored. You got to go through all that painful process. I knew that. And my heart was set. I wasn't running. I wasn't leaving. I wasn't going to minimize my sin. I wasn't going to try to build a narrative that would support my decisions. I was going to call myself out because I, it was undeniable the destruction and the hurt and the pain that my choices had created. And I know Jesus would be more than enough for me and that he would help me usher healing into those that were hurt and broken through that. Steward your heart well. I remember sitting in, in, in between Panera and, and Target, and, and I would put two lawn chairs, in, and at night I would, I would wait as long as I could because my window was, it couldn't roll up, and so I would lean in my, my expedition in the back. I had all my stuff in the back, and, and I didn't know who was going to come, and my sleep was limited, and I would, I would sit out at night as long as I could, and, and I would remind myself, I said, Jesus, you're with me. 
Like, this is hard. I don't want to be here. And, and what's difficult is when you've got to walk through difficult things and you've got experiences of blessing. You've got experiences of God's goodness. It kind of double haunts you. I remember sitting there saying, you are with me. And I was reminding myself, I was reaching out in faith. I was, I was setting my heart. I was learning how to steward my heart because you know the boulder of bitterness was ready to just lay heavy. You know the boulder of discouragement was just ready to pin me and never let me go. And so many, when it gets tough and when it gets hard, they lose heart. They do not steward their heart well. You see, what I've learned is hope is primarily about the heart. Hope is primarily about your heart. And there are so many things that try to, to, to infringe on that secret place where there is hope and peace and joy that only Jesus can give. And if you refuse to steward your heart, you will not finish your journey well. You see, you know why I ended up homeless? You know why I ended up losing everything? You know why I ended up living in my truck? Because I didn't steward my heart well and I didn't want to make that mistake again. So now I'm vigilant. Anything that comes to unseat the peace of God, the joy of God, my walk with God, it is not for sale. I don't care how many microphones, titles, invitations, you can have it all because there is something that I found in Christ that just caused everything to, compare, to pale in comparison. Steward your heart well. Hope is really a heart issue. Jesus is available. The kingdom of God is at hand. You have access to meet with him. But if you do not steward your heart well, you will be filled with stuff that will cause your vision of who Jesus is to be so cloudy and so confused. And that's why anxiety rests, because you have not learned to steward and process your heart, your pain, and your problems in the presence of God. And that's what I made a commitment to do. Number two, I love what it says. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. You see, not only, not only is hope a heart issue, not only do we have to steward our heart well, but we've got to learn to be resilient in the face of hardship and expect God's supernatural involvement. I was determined every single day that I was going to lean. God had me tabernacling in the wilderness. I was going to have to relearn that God loved me and he was going to be with me every single day. And I was going to expect God to show up. I remember having to walk behind Kroger's after sleeping in my truck by Whataburger. And I had no food and no money. And I walked at the back and behind, behind Kroger. And there was, a, there was a, 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 just a bony, eaten up rotisserie chicken. But right on top of it was a wedge of manchego cheese. That was my meal for the day. That was my meal for the day. And I was learning in the face of everything that would cause you to shrink back. In the midst of scarcity that, that may cause some, some un unhealthy habits and choices to develop, I was committed to saying, I'm going to be resilient. I'm not running. I'm not making excuses. And I'm going to expect God to provide for me. And that's what the sons of Korah saw in these people. He says, as they pass through the Valley of Baca, you know what the Valley of Baca is? It's a valley of hardship. It's a valley of tragedy. And I love what he says. They make it a place of springs. They are determined to be resilient. They are determined to dig deep. Hear me. What you are facing right now, don't shrink back. Determine to dig deep and watch God work in your life. Take your prayer life to the next level. Take, 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 take your commitment to Christ and your giving and everything about your life. Dig deep. Make it a place of springs. Take it and flip it. Take what's going on and flip it and watch God redeem it. Say, God, you're going to turn it around. I'm not going to go bitter. I'm not going to be hurt. I'm not going to be shackled in anxiety and pain. You know what? I know where I know it's a valley of Baca, but I'm going to turn it. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to dig deep. 
I'm not going to run. God, you're not here. Life's terrible. Own where you are. Excuse my French, but if you don't like the street you're living on, that's your asphalt. You see what else I've learned about, uh, about hope? Is hope is perspective in the hard. Are you going to get hard? Because, oh, life will try to make you hard. And some of you are under that hard boulder this morning. But it's perspective in the heart. What are you going to do? Number three, embrace the process and grow forward. I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. I know some of you are working with family members that are addicted. Maybe some of you are here working and you, you know you've crossed the line and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. I'm here to tell you that you have to be willing to embrace the process. They said they went from strength to strength. Until each appeared before God in Zion. They continued in the process. They didn't shrink back. Let me back up. I love what, what, what uh, verse 6 says. He, says. he says, the autumn rains cover it with pools. See, God's committed to when you dig deep. He's committed to doing his part. God's committed to meeting you. He says, after they, they made it a place of springs, the autumn rains cover it with pools. You know what that word pools means in Hebrew? Barakot. It means blessings. It means after, after you've slept all night, and, and you woke up in the morning and you saw these puddles, what did you know? You know it rained last night. God's wanting to put you in a situation where you begin to dig deep and begin to go after him, and you're going to begin to see his pools of blessing, and that's what I'm enjoying right now. Embrace the process and grow forward. Hope is practicing habits that are healthy and humility. So much tries to come and tries to distort habits and humility that are healthy, and you will not embrace the process and grow forward without a humble approach. Oh, I'm telling you, it's difficult sometimes, and this morning I'm eating a big piece of it, but humble pie is good for you, and just good old-fashioned godly habits will bring blessing in your life. I love what Philippians 1 and 6 says, I pray, the great, I pray with great faith because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches on you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. If the worship team can come back up as I close in our final point here this morning. Steward your heart well. I, I, I sense, even in worship, not only the issue of anxiety, but I could sense that the enemy is rushing in to try to unseat you. It, it, the picture I have is, is you seated in Christ. You seated as, as His child. And it's like the enemy is coming and he's like a roaring lion and he's trying to get you up out of your seat. Some of you, he's, he's, he's trying to get you to react. Sometimes he's trying to get you to forget who you are. But the enemy is, is trying to rush in to, to remove you from that place of peace and power in Christ. Be resilient. Expect God's supernatural involvement for some of you, what you're walking through right now. Some of the setbacks that COVID has brought. Some of the challenges you're facing in your family. God's calling you right now. He's saying, I want you to expect my involvement. 
somebody online, God's saying, I, I, want, I want you to expect, reach out and believe me. Reach out of your faith. He moves the mountain, but guess what he says? He says, speak to the mountain. Start exercising your faith. Be resilient and expect God's involvement. Don't give up. Some of you are in a process. I know what it's like. I'm not homeless anymore. Well, kind of. I got like a little, a little suite on top of a garage, but, but, but I, I don't live in my truck anymore. But everything that God's promised me through this, I haven't walked into that. How you walk through your wilderness is really critical. Embrace the process. So embrace where you are. So you've had a battle. That's okay. Lean into it and use it for the kingdom of God. Let others, let others benefit from it. My prayer is that all that I've gone through, that, God, that I won't hide any of it, that God will squeeze it. He'll make me better. And he'll use it for those that are trapped under the boulder as well because they are out there. And then finally... Remember your identity and help others until each, each one, God knows you, till each appears before God in Zion. You see, see, they knew that there was a journey and there would be those that would lag behind and people would journey together. And that's what Freedom Church is all about. It's about journeying together, keeping Christ as the anchor of our hope, experiencing that in such a real way and sharing that and echoing that and organically embodying that so that others can see that working in our life. But we cannot forget our identity as children of God. The enemy will come and try to make you into somebody you you are not and you are not that I am not what I did what I did is wrong my behavior was wrong but I am made in the image of God I'm made by him and for him and so are you until each appears before God in Zion you see what I also know as we close this hope is participating real hope is participating in helping others 2 Corinthians 1 and 4. He always comes alongside us. This is our King. This is your Jesus. Listen to this. And I know, I, I know he was in that room with me. Oh, how sweet. How, how grateful for I am for God's rescuing, redeeming love. Slowly with his gentle, loving kindness, knowing everything about me. Seeing my heart, knowing all of my hang-ups. He, 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 began, he says, they're going to be surgery. It's going to be painful, but I'm going to be with you. I'm your daddy God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repel with you all the way down. And I'm going to lead you to safety. You're going to be whole again, and you're going to help others. You may live. You may live. You may look different. But I'm going to use you to help others. He always comes alongside us to comfort us in our suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. You're not going through what you're going through because you're bad. You're not going through what you're going through just because or just because you made some mistakes. You're also going through it because somebody else is going to need your help. That's why you got to steward your heart well and get through it because God wants you to be healthy and redeeming and restoring. He doesn't want you to be hung up and there's people in here. You got hung up. You're trapped. You're here, but, but you're still trapped. And God's saying, it's time to take the next step forward. It's time to remember your identity because I want you to eventually help others. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out on us. Towards my final time in the truck, I had a $4 check from a place I tried to work. And uh, it was a leftover check. I mean, I'd got a main check. It wasn't like I just did $4 worth of work. But nevertheless, it was a $4 check, and I needed it. 
And so I found a, this is so embarrassing. I, I found a Little Caesars pizza box. And I wished I would have remembered to bring it here. I still have it, by the way. And I wrote on it, please help me cash this check. I, my ID wasn't working. It was expired. And I was this close. I had made the sign. I was going to the corner so that I could cash the $4 check so that I could eat because I didn't have anything. I got a call. My brother sent some money. I, I, would, I didn't have to go to the corner and, and, and have that sign. I still have it today. I'm going to keep it forever. But I'm wondering today, have you wrote a check in your life that you just can't cash right now? Like, like stuff's going on and you just don't have the ability to follow through. You're just... you. Do, do you see the sign today that God's signaling you with? That He paid the ultimate price? That He's inviting you into His presence for full redemption, full forgiveness, full restoration? Maybe, maybe you journeyed here this morning or you're online and you do not know Christ. I'm, I'm here to tell you that He's not going to leave you stranded. And some of you this morning, you, you may not have a cardboard sign like me, but in your heart and over your life, you, you have the sign and you're like, God, I need help. I need help with my addiction. I need help with my pain, with my brokenness. I need, I need help. God sees your sign this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we wrap up this morning, I'm wondering if you're here today and you know that God has sent you a sign and you're ready to accept His help. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're here in this service this morning. And you say, I, I want to accept the help that Jesus gave me on Calvary. He shed His blood for me. I need to start there. There's a lot of work and I'm willing to, I'm willing, I'm willing and, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to, but I, but I know, I know that this is a sign I need to surrender my heart to Jesus. If you're online or you're here with every head bow and you say, I want to give my heart to King Jesus. I want, I want to know that kind of Jesus that rescued that guy this morning. I want that kind of rescuing love working in my life. If that's you this morning, I just want you to lift up your hand and put it back down because I want to pray for you. Anybody here that want to surrender their life to Christ, just lift it up real quick. God sees your hand. Just lift it up and put it back down. Lift it up and put it back down. I want to pray for you. And then those of you that are here, I already feel the Spirit of God. I've been praying this morning. I said, God, God, reveal yourself. But then I found myself praying this. God, I welcome your mysterious work outside of the service, throughout the week. You see, we try to box it in, but the Holy Spirit has, has set His sights on you. Ma'am, you are not going to stay anxious and bound. Sir, you're not going to stay shackled with pain and brokenness deep in your heart. 
God is here to move the mountain. And if you're here this morning and you say, I need this mountain move, God knows what it is. But I want to pray over you and I want to include you in that prayer. If you're here this morning and say, I need a mountain move, whatever it may be, I want you to lift your hand up real quick and put it down. I need I need a mountain move. I need, yet yeah, God sees the hand. I need the mountain move. Father, everybody stand with me this morning. Father, in the strong, mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for the work of salvation. Why don't you repeat this prayer after me? King Jesus, say it loud. King Jesus, I give my heart to you. Help me. Save me. I call upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, now those that are in this building and online that need the mountain move, we begin to speak to it. We say anxiety, go. Depression, go. Addiction, go. Let the strong name of Jesus and the stronghold of Jesus unset and unsettle the sin and the shackles in our life. We want to walk in your freedom. And we claim it. We proclaim it. You know why? Because you still move the mountain. You know why? Because you're faithful. Your promise still stands. No matter where we are this morning, your promise still stands. And we say to the mountain, be removed in the name of Jesus. Hopelessness be removed. Anxiety be removed. Brokenness be removed. The pain that shackled me be removed. God, I'm willing to walk through the process. I'm committed to journeying with hope. In the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said with me, amen. What an honor to get to share with you this morning. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May He strengthen you. And may He remind you always that you have access that Jesus purchased for you. And He has ability to help you through any and everything. In the name of Christ Jesus. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.